This episode of On The Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles Curbside Pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey everybody, Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's edition of Ingles On The Beat. Appreciate you joining me. And tonight, a very special guest. I'm going to welcome Georgia baseball coach Scott Strickland to the show as the Diamond Dogs have won, what, nine of their last 14 games after a one and nine start. And, and wait until you hear from Coach Strickland and just the unconventional ways that this Georgia baseball team continues to battle and thrill their fans at Foley Field. It's been an exciting season. Not over yet. This Georgia baseball team might yet make the postseason. First things first, though, I wanted to get into these odds that came out earlier. And I know that the season is still over 100 days away, but I can't help myself. When I see the betting odds come out, you know, it kind of gets the juices flowing a little bit, right? You kind of see the expectations. There they are in black and white. We've all talked and we've heard other analysts and prognosticators talk about, well, Georgia's the preseason favorite. But when you start seeing the betting lines come out, this is people putting their money where their mouth is. And the Georgia Bulldogs are huge favorites against most of their rivals, at least on the odds that have been released so far. So far, I see uh, Georgia as a 21 and a half point favorite against Florida in Jacksonville. Uh, I see Georgia as an 18 and a half point favorite at Auburn. That's two games out of state where you're favored by double digits. I see the dogs a 24 point home favorite against South Carolina in the September game. Of course, Old Miss comes. Uh, to Sanford Stadium this year, Lane Kiffin, dogs a 19 and a half point favorite there. But Georgia is only, and I say only, a seven and a half point favorite over Tennessee. And I say only because last year, Georgia beat Tennessee convincingly. And I was only 27-13 on the scoreboard, but anybody who was there knows how dominant Georgia was in that victory over Tennessee. Now you could say, that the Sanford Stadium crowd did have something to do with that. After all, Tennessee had to use three timeouts, and I think they had about six false starts between the crowd and that defensive line dominance made a real big difference. Now, this year's game is in Neyland Stadium, but Hendon Hooker is not there anymore, and neither is Jalen Hyatt, their elite receiver, or Cedric Tillman, another one of their elite receivers, or a offensive lineman, you know, draft pick. They lost a lot. And I know Georgia lost a lot too, but I don't think Tennessee is as well stocked as Georgia. Now, that said, I do think Tennessee has awakened, uh, you know, from the land of sleeping giants. I do think Josh Heupel has that program going in the right direction with that offense. Now, that said, I don't expect Tennessee to be a borderline playoff team this year. I do think Tennessee could win eight, nine, or 10 games. If things go right, and there's a lot of positions they've got to hit the kind of refill button on and reload, and I just don't think they have the depth of talent yet that a program like Georgia does. So while I say that Tennessee is awakened from sleeping giants, I still think that Georgia is the prohibitive favorite in the East. I feel very strongly. I would take Georgia against the field in the East, obviously. You know, the West to me, I like LSU. And yet I look at the odds that came out today and LSU does play at Alabama. And I see Bama, a seven point favorite over LSU in these future odds. So I think that's interesting that the odds makers still have Alabama as the favorite to win the West. And uh, I think Brian Kelly's conquered. I'm, I'm not convinced 
that Nick Saban hired the right offensive coordinator or that they've solved their quarterback problem. I look at it like this. Hey, you had the best quarterback in the nation in Bryce Young, the number one overall draft pick, the guy that got my last two number one Heisman Trophy votes. You had Bryce Young, the last guy to beat a Georgia football team, and you couldn't win the West last year. And you had Will Anderson, too, by the way. Uh, you know, a lot of people thought the best defensive player in the country. I thought Jalen Carter personally, Will Anderson obviously went higher, Jalen with the off-field issues. The Philadelphia Eagles stories really played out well, too. We'll transition right into that. How cool is it to see Jalen Carter and Keely Ringo and Nolan Smith and Nicobe Dean and Jordan Davis all a part of the Philadelphia Eagles via the draft? And then DeAndre Swift. You know, they they trade for Swift later. I mean, that's a lot of now. Here's my question. Do Georgia fans root for those Eagles, even over the Atlanta Falcons? And are there some that are like, wait a minute, wait a minute? Matthew Stafford and Stetson Bennett have joined Richard LeCount along with Warren McClendon on the Rams. So where are the Georgia fans at? Are they are they Rams fans? Are they Eagles fans? Are they Falcons fans? Uh, are, are they Packers fans with Eric Stokes and, and Quay Walker and Devontae Wyatt? My goodness, with all these Georgia players that are in the NFL now, it's easy to like all the teams because there's dogs, there, except seemingly Atlanta, right? Atlanta's got a couple, but let's face it. You got to wonder at some point if the Falcons just don't want to get a guy that's from that close because of the pressure to play him or if there's something going on in the evaluation process where they're just not as sold on Georgia's ability to develop players like a lot of NFL clubs, like Howie Roseman, a guy I talked to at the combine this year. And it was interesting because I, I pulled him off to the side in Indianapolis. He had done a podium interview and I said, excuse me, Howie, I said, you got a few minutes for me. I'm kind of kicking myself. I didn't do video now because we know how much you, everyone likes the dog nation YouTube channel and how many followers we've got. But I thought, you know, sometimes when you haven't ever interviewed someone before, they're a little bit more reluctant to go on camera. So I like when I'm a new interviewer to interview somebody uh, without the camera, because I feel like I'll get more information. They may not be as conscientious of what they're saying. You know, they don't know me from Adam. Right. So I asked Howie about recruiting and uh selecting Nicobe and Jordan and what he thought of, of the Georgia football program and the job that Kirby Smart was doing. And he said, they don't just develop great players the right way. They develop great people. And I said to him, I said, you know, after the interview was done, uh, I said, well, I got to tell you, you got, you got two of the best Georgia players in history. And in terms of just, you know, character and what they meant, I said, Jordan, Jordan Davis is when I do the Georgia football Mount Rushmore uh, you know, Jordan Davis is on the, Mount Rushmore for me, right? I go with Jordan Davis, Brock Bowers, uh, Herschel Walker, and then um, Charlie Trippy, right? So I'm, I'm telling him this, you know, how great these, he said, oh yeah, they're really, I said, I'll tell you, you really, you know, those guys are amazing. And then he said, well, yeah, they really missed him this year. Well, of course they went 15 and 0, but I said, no, seriously, those guys really, well, he was making his point. I just missed it, Right. He had his eye on those other dogs. He had his eye on Nolan Smith and, and Jalen Carter and Keely. I like the Keely Ringo. What a value pick that was late. Um, I think they did a remarkable job. And I, I think it's going to bode well for the Philadelphia Eagles that they're that bought into these Georgia players. And I think you're going to see a super. I, I said as soon as actually I said a month before when there was someone that mocked Jalen Carter to the Eagles, I said, hand him the Super Bowl trophy now. 
I mean, honestly, if Jalen Hurts stays healthy, I just can't imagine the Eagles not winning the Super Bowl next year. So that's been pretty cool to watch. I thought Stetson landed in a great place with the Rams. An understudy to Matthew Stafford, just, just such a locker room pro. I think Stetson will learn a lot. And he may get some opportunities with, you know, Matthew's uh, back injuries are, are pretty well documented. I mean, you might see Stetson Bennett playing for the L.A. Rams next year. And isn't that amazing? Richard LeCount is on the other side of the ball, two guys that, you know, knew each other from the high school ranks. So kind of cool to see that, um, kind of enjoying that. That's been kind of a neat deal. I, I had a chance to do a couple stories on Carson Beck this week. And I thought it was interesting, you know, Beck did this podcast, uh, Footballville. I'd never heard of it before. He must have gotten paid some NIL money for it. But he really kind of opened up about, you know, being almost scarred from the experience in 2021 and how he thought he was going to play. And and when he went on the field, he just he didn't feel like he knew how to play football. It sounded like his confidence was shot. And I guess that explains why he didn't go after the guy in the pick six. But it just wasn't the sort of vintage Carson Beck that had led Georgia recruit him. And and he had to recover from that. And he said, Hey, I wasn't ready. I thought I was ready and maybe football wise, but from a standpoint of, of mentally and everything that comes with being the quarterback, Carson now says that it's good that he didn't play. Then he's grown and being patient has made him the player that he is also thought it was interesting when he shared how Mike Bobo works with the quarterbacks. Bobo says, Hey, look, um, you know, this is what I'm looking at on third downs. What do you think? So the players actually have some control over the play calls, obviously from within the framework of what Bobo believes will work. But going into the game in that way, Carson said he's even more prepared for those circumstances because they've discussed some of the go to plays. It's just a way of of putting a quarterback's mind at ease. And it's it's some of the genius of Mike Bobo, who's really orchestrated some of the, the finest Georgia offenses, the highest scoring offense in Georgia history, the 2014 Hudson Mason offense, the highest scoring offense and the number one draft pick, uh, Matthew Stafford, richest ever. And the SEC's all-time winningest quarterback, David Green, and then the SEC's all-time leading passer, Aaron Murray. And speaking of Aaron Murray, Aaron did a recent interview with Brock Vandergrift. And he said, you are Mike Bobo's kind of guy, not just because they both like to fish, but he was talking about how Brock Vandergrift kind of speaks in the same language as Mike Bobo. And I thought that was really interesting. Brock Vandergrift is really comfortable with where he's at. And in his interview, Brock said, you know, there were sleepless nights as a freshman, but he's overcome that, you know, from a spiritual standpoint, uh, he discussed some of that and how comfortable he is with himself. He talked about the Georgia family and I don't know how to say this, but there were some stories that, well, Brock decided to stay and not transfer. There was not a decision to be made. He was never leaving. There was never a decision-making process beyond, you know, daily prayer. But the guy is committed to graduating from Georgia from the jump. So he was never wavering. And, you know, I think it's important that get cleared, that gets cleared up, you know, because in this day and age where, you know, you'll see some players transfer and whatnot, um, you know, you wonder, well, who's all in and who's not? And is it possible that this guy might transfer if if he doesn't get his opportunity? Brock Vandegrift never going anywhere. Thought that was pretty interesting. Brock also shared uh, his favorite Mike Bobo drill, which I thought was really interesting. They were talking about how, you know, there's guys that are kind of on one knee and they got four or five beanbags and they're throwing these beanbags at the quarterback's feet and the quarterback is having to move around and keep their eyes downfield and kind of feel that pressure. And 
Um, Aaron Murray said, you know, that's the same drill that we did 10 years ago and it still works. So pretty cool, uh, you know, hearing those interviews with, with Beck and Vandergriff and, you know, looking at kind of the fallout from the NFL draft. Don't forget the Steelers, you know, gosh, you know, now they have Broderick Jones and Darnell Washington and George Pickens. Um, a lot of teams for dog fans to choose from. Uh, but obviously the main team remains the Saturday version of Georgia football with Kirby Smart. And, and just looking at these odds, you know, Georgia's going to be a heavy favorite again. Uh, before we get to the interview with Coach Strickland, um, want to mention the Georgia softball team did finish second in the SEC this year. Uh, Tony Baldwin, a second-year coach, only the 11th highest-paid coach in the league, but uh, pretty impressive team. Sidney Kuma was their leading hitter. Jada Kearney, uh, 18 home runs. I mean, this is a super talented team. Uh, this is their best finish in the regular season in uh, quite some time. I want to say 2009, maybe. Um, so best regular season finish in a minute for Georgia softball. They'll start the SEC tournament this week in Arkansas. Those games will be televised. I know the Georgia fans will be watching those games closely. Um, so now let's uh, go to the interview uh, with Coach Scott Strickland. Tape this a little bit earlier today. Coach had practice, obviously. Um, so with that, we bring Coach Strickland into the show. I'd like to welcome Georgia baseball coach Scott Strickland to the show right now. And Scott, congratulations on a big weekend series over a Tennessee team that had won nine straight coming in there to Foley Field. Uh, you know, give me your perspective on that from the dugout. You had some battles. Yeah, no question. Tennessee had been playing really well. And, you know, that they had started off a little bit sluggish in the league. They were five and ten at one point and and one pitch away from being five and eleven against Vanderbilt. And they get a pinch hit home run to tie it in the ninth. And they win in extras. And the next thing you know, they win nine in a row and six in a row in the league. So they were really hot coming into Athens and and they played really well on Friday night and kind of took it to us. And we were able to turn the tables, went on Saturday, went on Sunday, win the series and uh, grab some momentum back for us. Yeah, not, not the most uh, conventional of ways to turn it around, though, coach. I mean, your, your starting pitcher gets injured, you know, in the first at bat and you bring Jarvis Evans in off the bench. And we're all kind of thinking, well, not all. There's a lot of Georgia baseball fans that that know of Jarvis from from uh, Buford, originally from Buford, a guy that you have been working with, six foot four freshman lefty. But you make that call to stick him out there in that moment. Tell me what went into that call. And um, gosh, I guess where you move forward after the kid just really pitched sensational in a nationally televised uh, game. Yeah, well, first of all, Charlie Goldstein had been our go-to guy. The last four weekends, Charlie has been really, really good for us. And two pitches into the game, he tweaks his hamstring and is out. And we just came off a loss on Friday night. We're in a must-win game. We've got our best guy going. Jaden Woods, our number one starter, is out right now. And Liam Sullivan is starting the next day, but he's on a pitch count just because of just fatigue late in the year. So the pitching staff's really short. So, oh, no, we're two pitches in, and it's, oh, no, now what? And, uh, you know, Jarvis Evans, you know, I think he was probably just getting settled in, you know, on the railing, uh, the top step of the bench with, uh, you know, a power aid in his hand and a cliff bar in the other hand and getting ready to just watch the game and, you know, maybe pitch in the fifth or sixth inning. And, uh, you know, as soon as I went out there and confirmed that Charlie couldn't go, you know, in my mind, I had Jarvis. Jarvis is our next guy. I look into Coach Kenny, and he taps his left arm. Jarvis was our only left-hander available that day, so it's going to be Jarvis Evans. So Jarvis had to warm up. He had 15 minutes of shutdown time to warm up. And, uh, you know, we had hoped for two or three. It's going to be a bullpen day now just because, you know, Jarvis hasn't been in this spot. 
and he goes out there and gives us five and a third and strikes out eight and just was outstanding and and uh, and won that game for us. Well, and you could put into perspective, Coach, what that win meant for you as you guys went on to beat Tennessee on Sunday and win that series. And, you know, now I, I can't remember which one of the radio guys said it to you. I, I know you guys are all friends. He said, gosh, you guys were five and a half feet deep. And I'm thinking, well, that's a heck of a thing to say to Coach Strickland. But you know what? It was getting to that point. It is at that point. I mean, we are in the stretch run. And, you know, you've brought a standard of, of making that NCAA tournament. And this is a team with some veterans, some savvy guys. You see you know, Ben is your, your leadoff guy, Ben Anderson. And you see some of these other names like Parks Harbor and, and one of the Tate brothers. Remain. You go, you know what? This team's got some fight left. And now it, it does look like, uh, you know, that 13, 14, 15 win SEC season still within reach, right? Yeah, I mean, who would have thought it about four weeks ago? We were one and nine and uh, and we gave away you know, probably four games in the league early on and, uh, and and those sting, but you can't take them back. I mean, that's the thing. You can't hit the rewind button. I've said that a million times is when it happens, it happens. And we can all say what if and if this would have happened and that would happen, but it doesn't change what did happen. And we were one and nine. And since then, we're nine and five. We're playing as good as anybody in the conference. The problem is we just dug ourselves a really big hole and we're climbing out of it. And we put ourselves in a spot now that uh, that we've got a chance to, to make uh, the NCAA postseason. And you had mentioned 13, 14, 15 wins. 15 gets you in 100%. 14, it's a really good chance you're getting in. And 13 teams get in. Uh, our RPI is a top 30 RPI. Our strength of schedule is number four in the country. So we have all the metrics. We just need to get the wins. And we've got two weekends left to, to get three, four, maybe even five wins. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's been a fantastic story watching the Georgia baseball team fight back and uh, you know, one of the great players who's emerged this year is, is Charlie Condon. And you don't typically see freshmen uh, take the league by storm like this kid has. He's really remarkable. Now, you redshirted him last year. Tell us a little bit about the recruitment, developing this guy, because, I mean, you've, you've got one of the young rising stars in the nation, much less the SEC. Yeah, well, the recruitment story is a straight COVID story. No one knew who he was because no one could go out and recruit during that summer. When it was his summer to be recruited, we weren't allowed to be out watching players. Plus, he had been injured. Plus, he was still undersized. He wasn't, you know, he's 6'5", 220 now. He wasn't near that three summers ago, and he had been injured. So he's he's on a number three team. He's not playing very well. He's injured. No one knows who he is. Uh, he was actually planning on going to Rhodes College to play football and baseball when I got a call from a friend of mine. And he said, look, this kid's a really good player. He's a really smart kid. He's already gotten into Georgia on his own. His cousin, Owen, was an offensive lineman already here at Georgia. They've got connections with the family with the University of Georgia. Hey, give this kid a chance. I promise you he won't let you down. And I'm putting my name on this kid. Just give him a shot. He doesn't need any promises. Just an opportunity in the fall. He wasn't even promised a roster spot. So unbelievable story. This doesn't happen. If it's COVID's not around, I, he gets recruited and you know, hopefully he's here anyway, but he shows up. He has a good fall, but we needed to put some weight on him. He was still he was 6'5", but really skinny. And he was able to put on 15 pounds, get stronger, uh, went off to the Northwoods League, which is a summer wood bat league, got 300 plate appearances, and then came back in the fall a different guy. And you know, I use the analogy. It's very similar and like when football redshirts that freshman, that really talented kid, they redshirt him. He eats, he lifts, he gains experience, 
he gets more mature and then he comes out and you're like, where'd this kid come from? Well, Charlie Condon is that kid and he handled it perfectly. He worked really hard and it's just a great, great story. And I think he's going to play in the big leagues. Yeah, I'll tell you, the team just doesn't give up. You know, we, we mentioned the injury. Jaden Woods, we haven't even talked about him. You're your number one pitcher. You mentioned, I guess, earlier. He's out indefinitely. Don't know when you'll get him back. It'd be big to get him back. You got a couple catchers out, too. I was I was listening to your postgame show the other day. You're telling me this guy behind the plate, how many innings did you say he might have caught in his whole life? I mean, he, remarkable <laughs> performance from a number three catcher. Yeah, Will, Will David, uh, you know, he, he was his uh, first four years he played – at Sanford and, uh, you know, was a third baseman, was a second baseman and he was their third catcher, but he hated it. He admittedly said, I, I don't like catching coach, but he was going to be our third catcher. We've got Fernando Gonzalez and Corey Collins and, and, you know, Will, Hey, you're a third guy. He caught some, you know, during early part of the season to give Fernando a break. Uh, he hadn't had any starts behind the plate, but had gotten some innings in and he had caught in some inter-squad games just to get him experience. And he looked fine. I mean, that's why I told him, I said, Hey, if this was, your trade, if you've been doing this all along, you might be a pro as a catcher. But, you know, he, well, coach, that's nice. But, man, I don't like catching. Well, guess what? You're our starting catcher now because Corey's down with a bad wrist and Fernando's down with an elbow right now. So Will David's our guy and, and Mason LaPlante, our second base, but now he's our fourth catcher. Everyone has an emergency catcher. Well, Mason LaPlante is our emergency catcher. But Will David has been huge. He's caught the last four games. Uh, we've won uh, three out of those four, and he's just caught. Looks like he's been back there all his life, and just done a great, great job for us. Yeah, quite a scramble, and um, got to think there's a real fire and intensity in that dugout right now. You've got a road trip coming up to Missouri. Um, you know, I look at the standings, but that doesn't mean anything to me. I don't, I don't care what Missouri's record is. This league proves again and again how good and how deep it is with what Old Miss did last year, barely getting into the tournament, and you know, winning the World Series. I see there's five out of the top ten teams in the nation ranked in the SEC. Tell me a little bit about this Missouri series. And then you come home against an LSU team that's top five. Yeah, no question. Everybody in this league's really good. Missouri's a tough place to play. Uh, the wind's always blowing. It's either gusting in or gusting out. And uh, it just makes just the, the uh, you know, everything around the game changes when that wind is gusting and blowing. And anytime you're away from home, it's uh, it's always tough to play. So, they're a team that just scored uh, over 40 runs last weekend against Ole Miss. They won two out of three against Ole Miss, and they're fighting for their postseason lives. So it's going to be a battle. You know, our goal every weekend is to try to win a series. So we're going to go up there and just try to win two out of three. If you win all three, great, but try to win a series, do everything you can to do that. And, and then the following weekend, we welcome uh, the number one team in the country, LSU, who is loaded. They're really talented. They're really good. Uh, they're fighting for the number one seed in the league. You know, it's funny that they're number one in the country, but, uh, you know, they're number two or number three in the league right now, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but that's just the way it is. They're really talented. They're really good. And, and that will be our finale. Uh, and if if you, we can win that series, we can win at uh, Missouri and, and win a home series against LSU. I think we're postseason bound. And, uh, you know, what a turnaround from a one and nine start. Yeah, incredible story. LSU, yes, the New York Yankees of college baseball. Quite a tradition there, pretty powerful program. And, you know, Coach, before I let you go, I'd be remiss. I know that, you know, we've been talking a lot about this at the granular level, and I do know that's where your focus is at. But there's a lot of George baseball fans that have that have heard Josh Brooks talk about facilities enhancement and, and some plans for that. Where does that stand right now in terms of what we might see out there at Foley Field in the next year or two? Yeah, we're really excited about it. And you know, we felt like we were going to get it done this summer. 
The problem is when you're going at the same site, you've got from June until February to get it done. And uh, this is a multi, multi-million dollar project that you just can't blink your eyes and get it done. There's a lot of logistical things that have to be done. So this summer, we've got to move all the electrical, all the utilities, everything has got to be moved in that stadium to get ready for the following year and all the major construction. And on the meantime, we're getting our locker room redone. We're getting our team meeting room redone. We're getting new lights at the field. We're getting the LED lights. We get the, all the flashing lights we get at Sanford Stadium. So, uh, and then a new playing surface. So we're getting some things in this first phase, but then the following year after the 2024 season, that's when the big renovations happen. We're gonna add some seating. We're gonna add some premium seating. The, uh, the canopy and the roof is going to go down each line, the first and third baseline. We're adding a, uh, a pitching lab. We're adding new hitting tunnels. Our offices, I'm in Stegman Coliseum right now. Our offices will move down to Foley Field. So it's a major project, baseball and softball, both getting facelifts. Coach Baldwin getting a boost as well. So we're all excited about it. You know, again, we all wish it would have been done before, but it's, it just hasn't. And again, I think COVID slowed a lot of things down. And I, I think this probably gets done after the 2020 season, but uh, everything just got pushed back. But Josh has been pushing for this. We all wanted to do it this summer all at once, but just logistically couldn't do it. You can't do all that we're doing in seven months. So we have to split it up into two years. Yep. Understandable coach. And I'll tell you, I know a lot of Georgia fans are, are really glad that I guess, I don't know if patience, the right word. You, you just keep battling just like your baseball team. It kind of comes down from the coach. We see how you've battled for the Bulldogs and done everything you can do uh, with Foley field and facilities. And, and you continue to put a product out there that keeps fighting and competing. I know there were a lot of really proud Georgia baseball fans this weekend when you took two out of three from a Tennessee team that seemed to have all the momentum in the world going for it. And uh, Georgia sent them back to Knoxville with losses and with your postseason hopes alive. Really want to thank you uh, for joining me today. I always enjoy going out to your ballpark. Uh, it, it's a great place to see a baseball game. You've got great fans and and obviously you've got a really spirited team that just continues to impress with one storyline after another, some maybe more unexpected than others, but as I guess as long as your dogs are getting wins, uh, the details don't matter too much to some. Yeah, no question about it. It's, it's been a little unconventional, especially uh, this past weekend with what Jarvis Evans was able to do and Will David back there catching. And But you know what? Guys are stepping up. And you know now that guys are stepping up, it's contagious. Now someone else will do it. And, and I thought that's what we saw on Saturday and Sunday after Jarvis Evans did that for us everybody else kind of stepped up too. And, and it was really satisfying and really proud of our kids to the way that they responded to get that series win. Great stuff. Thank you, Coach Strickland. Really appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Well, that'll do it. I want to thank everybody for joining me this week on the Ingles on the Beach show. Don't forget each day, Dog Nation Daily with Brandon Adams. And on Wednesday night, it's Before the Hedges with Jeff Centel. Continue to check us out on dognation.com. I'm Mike Griffith. You can find me on Twitter at MikeGriffith32. Have a great week, everybody. Did you know that Ingles sells more organics than any other store? Or that they run their own dairy? Or that they only serve USDA choice and prime meat? Did you know that they have more local craft beer than any place else? Or that they have energy smart stores? Or that they professionally slice and package imported cheese from Europe? Did you know about their giant international aisle, local farm partnerships, curbside pickup, wine department? Or that they donate 3,956 meals a day to local food banks? Well, now you do. It's all in the bag. Ingles. Low prices. Love the savings.